0: Before we get started there, I really just want to real quickly just thank you for your prayers. Uh, I tell you, as we travel throughout the nation as missionary evangelists, we travel on average the last several years between 40 and 50,000 miles, and that's just on highways. That doesn't count the, the air miles that we travel as well. And uh, you'll not convince me of anything else. God has protected us through that. Uh, We have seen accidents, seen things that we don't really want to see that's happened, and God has protected us through it all. And I really think and really believe that that's the answering of the prayers of God's people. I certainly thank you for your prayers. And In our ministry and also your financial support. That just keeps us going down the road just a little bit further. And uh, one of our our goals or one of the, the aspects of our ministry, of course, is we want to evangelize the lost. We want to tell others about Christ. And then we want to edify the saints. We want to use God's word to help the saints in their walk with God to grow and grace and knowledge of the Lord to help them serve le- better live better for the cause of Christ or for Christ, and then finally one of the main uh, one of th- the mains that we're doing more and more is we want to encourage the pastor as the days go and we know that uh, we don't know when the Lord is coming back. The Bible tells us we can know the times and the seasons and uh, I think if you read the scriptures it's not going to be long before the Lord does come back to call his people out of this world and until that point uh, we want to encourage the pastors, the missionaries, the church planners to keep going, to keep serving to keep uh, evangelizing the law so that others may come to know him and that's our ministry that's what we want to try to do in serving him as missionary evangelists. And the Lord has opened many doors for us. And uh, the Lord has graciously filled our schedule uh, for the most part for the rest of this year. And uh, I'll be back here on Wednesday the 12th and I'll share just a little bit more of where we've been and how God has blessed. But I want to, uh, some of you may be aware of Something that occurred in May to our granddaughter, who was nine, was it nine months old then. Uh, you know we have a daughter that lives in Montana, and a son-in-law and, and two grandsons up there. And then we have a, a daughter and our son-in-law in Colorado. He's a pastor there. Then we have our third daughter who is married to our son-in-law, of course. And they live in North Carolina and they are on deputation to plant a church in Chicago. And so, um, and then we have a, a daughter, our fourth daughter, who is, uh, who is not married but wants to be. But dad's not ready for that just yet. And so she is actually in New Hampshire. She's serving as or interning at a faith-based addiction center. She's working with folks who have addictions several different kinds of addictions and and so she is there but last uh, May or this this past May we were in uh, Elizabeth, Colorado and I'll try to get through this but I also thank you for your prayers for my family one of the hardest things that we do as missionary evangelists as we travel it's hard to be there for your family uh, because there's no telling where we're going to be at and the times we're going to be there but we were in uh, Elizabeth, Colorado in May, and uh, I was getting ready to preach a revival. And uh, that week, on, on Thursday, the week before, uh, there was actually a pastor there. Uh, that is my son-in-law's pastor, who pastors in Colorado. And he preached a message on God is faithful. And I knew in my mind that God is faithful but I didn't know how much I needed that message until a few days later. Saturday, I was uh, in ordination council being questioned about my beliefs and all of those things and the church there in Elizabeth where we're out of now ordained me into the gospel ministry. And then Sunday, I was going to preach the afternoon service Saturday night or Sunday morning early about 2.30, my wife and I were sleeping and we had our nine-month-old granddaughter, MJ. She was staying with, sleeping with us. And my daughter, Lindsay, MJ's mother, had flown out. And um, about 2.30 in the morning, those of you who are parents know that when you hear a scream, there's differences in screams. Uh, and this was one of those screams that we knew something was going on my wife proceeded to get up and in the midst of she picked her our little granddaughter up uh, she began seizing and uh that's a sight you're not prepared for and um, so we called or we called the EMS and they transported her to the hospital and the doctor there, uh, she had stopped seizing. The doctor there had thought it was just from a fever. And uh, so she, uh, the doctor sent her back uh, to the place where we're staying and said, listen, keep, uh, keep medicine in her to keep the fever down. But the services went well that day on Sunday. And about 5 o'clock that afternoon... Uh, I was getting some rest. I was laying down. That same preacher who preached God is faithful come and knocked on the door, woke me up and he, and he said, little MJ's seizing again. Went down and uh, saw that she was seizing again and, and took her. And uh, over 10 minutes later, she had been seizing for almost 10 minutes. And uh, the EMS got there and they transported her to the, to the hospital again. And when you know there's 12 to 13 people in the trauma room, it's not good. And so uh, being an epileptic, dealing with seizures, I heard the phrase that I did not want to hear, and it's called status. Status. And what that phrase means is you're either seizing for longer than you should or you continue to seize. You'll have a seizure, stop, and then have another one. Stop, and then have another one. Stop, and then have another one. Well, she was in the, I, I don't know, they said 10 to 12 seizures. Plus, she was had one long seizure. So I asked the doctor, I said... Can you tell me? Of course, all of us was just out of sorts. And the doctor said, listen, um, I'm just trying to get her to the children's hospital, trying to stabilize her to get her to the children's hospital. And um, so with that, uh, they were going to transport her, but they saw the need was greater, so they tried to call a children's helicopter and in Colorado, there's two heli- there's different types of helicopters, and one was for children, and others are for adults. Well, the children's was not available, so they just called this helicopter that was 15 minutes 15 minutes away in Colorado Springs, and they flew in, and and this was no accident. That um, this was the number one rated. Life Flight Helicopter in Colorado. So they changed their equipment to juvenile. And as they was leaving her, they had our little granddaughter um, sedated. And they had a breathing tube in. And you can imagine all the tubes and everything that was on her. And they allowed us to walk out with her. And as my wife and my daughter was standing there, And they took that little daughter. We found out that the pilot, that's all he did was fly helicopters. He said, I don't know much about medicine. I just carry bags. He said, but I've been flying helicopters for over 15 years. And he said, those two that is flying with that baby, I can guarantee you they're some of the most trained in the state of Colorado. But as I was standing there and I watched that helicopter Lift off, God gave me an insurance. And where we were standing, you could see all the mountains all around you. And God just said, listen, I'm the one who made those mountains. I made those mountains, and I'm in that helicopter with your granddaughter. And I'll be in that emergency room with your granddaughter. Just trust in me. I turned and I hugged my daughter and I told her those things. I said the God who made those mountains is the God who knew your daughter before she was even born. It's the God that will be in that emergency room. And so we left and we drove up and we went to the children's hospital and they took her immediately into the intensive care unit. And in there, there's there's glass, the rooms are glass, and there was one nurse for every one patient. It was a one-to-one ratio. And as she was laying there with the tubes and the breathing tube and all of those things, I'd found out I didn't hear this myself, my wife did, but my daughter taught me a lesson that day as my wife said, she came back and she said, you know what I heard Lindsay singing to MJ? Great is thy faithfulness. In the midst of all of that, she was singing God was faithful. And in that, they did many tests over those days And they just determined or they thought that the fever and the infections that she had is what caused those seizures. In a couple of days at that children's hospital, I was sitting there with my daughter and then my son-in-law had flew out. And they were going to take the tube out, the breathing tube. And I said, you're going to hear the greatest sound you've ever heard come out of your daughter. They took that breathing tube out and she just screamed. We know she was going to be all right. And it was determined that she has some other things that she's going to be seeing a neurologist in North Carolina for. But God was faithful. In those times that we were desperate, that we were hurting, that we were. Not knowing what to do. We sent out and said, just pray. Just pray. And now that little girl is back to herself. And that's the answers. That's God answering the prayers of people all around this country. So thank you for your prayers in that. There's still some road they have to walk, but she's out of danger and... and She's on the road. And so thank you for your prayers. And I know that was just one thing, but I tell you, God answers prayers. He does. He answers prayers. And thank you for those. And so that's just one update for uh, last month. And next Wednesday, we'll give you a little more. But I want to get into the scriptures tonight. Psalm 37 and when you find your place there, if you would, stand with me if you're able, out of reverence and honor the reading of God's Word. We're going to read the first seven verses and then we'll flip to a couple of different verses there in Psalm 37. But the Bible says in verse 1, fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good so that thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. Verse 7 says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way. Because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Now turn over to verse 23 if you will. The Bible says in verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. Drop to verse 25. He says, I have been young and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. I want to preach on this thought tonight. Are you following Christ? Are you following Christ? Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you again for allowing us to come together tonight. Thank you for this place that we're able to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, we thank you for the pastor and his dear family, and we pray for the upcoming delivery, Lord, at your time. You'd be with Miss Karras and that delivery would go safe. You would keep everybody safe, Lord, and we thank you for everyone who's taken their time to come out tonight. And Lord, as we open your word, I pray that we'd open our hearts to what you'd have for us. And then, Lord, we take it from this place. Lord, I pray that you would help me say that is what is only honoring and pleasing to you. Lord, I can't do this in my own strength. So I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord, to guide and direct my thoughts and my words. Lord, we're thankful. Lord, for your many blessings that you've given us. And Lord, I pray that you would have your will and way, Lord, in the service tonight. In Christ's name I ask and pray. Amen. Thank you, maybe see you. Thank you for standing for the reading of God's word. As we come to Psalm 37, the psalm is written to the believer as a song of instruction to help him cope with the triumph of the wicked. Its counterpart is Psalm 73 that was also written as instruction to help those that are committed to following the Lord to be free from envy towards those that prosper in spite of their wickedness. Many times we get our eyes on other folks that that are not saved and we see that they're prospering, they're having things, everything's going well. And many times we don't understand that. And and I don't understand it sometimes. Uh, But I can tell you this, God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God has plans, God has directions that we don't understand. And that's where the faith comes in because the Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. And that word impossible means you cannot do it. It is impossible. We must have faith. And we may not understand some things that go on in this life. We may not understand some things that even go on in our lives. But that comes to the fact that we know that God works everything for our good in his glory. And so this psalm is written as an encouragement by David to help those that have gotten their eyes off Christ and on to the people that are not saved and maybe doing wicked things, but they're prospering. Now, for you and I, serving the Lord is a, a matter of personal conviction that doing the will of God is worth the price every time. Many times you talk to the older saints of God and they'll tell you that it was worth it serving God. You talk about the men in the Bible that God used in a great and mighty way. I think if we could speak with them face to face, they would say, I thought it was worth what we went through to serve the Lord. And you and I may experience different things in our lifetime But can I tell you, everything that we go through, everything that that happens, it's worth the price to serve the Lord. And, you know, many people have served the Lord with less than great encouragement from family and friends. You know, we travel and there's many times that we go to uh, Utah and Utah is Mormon. It has got Mormons all over And uh, we're privileged to go into a a church in Logan, Utah. And and in that church, uh, God is doing a great and mighty work. And we've met a couple of Mormons there that used to be Mormons that has gotten saved by the grace of God. And they will tell you, we met a older lady years ago and, and she had gotten saved. She used to be in Mormonism. And she had gotten saved. And and in that, when she got saved, the the people there, her family, disowned her, put her out of the will because she had gotten saved and put faith in Christ. We met another young lady at the time. I guess she was 18, 19. And and she was a Mormon. She believed in the Mormon. And she was in high school. Now, you got to understand... In the state of Utah, uh, there are places at every high school and and they can go over there in one of their their extra credits or whatever and they can go to this school and learn the ways of Mormon, Mormonism. And that's what she did. She went from the high school, she went across the street, to to this place, and I forget what they call it. You remember what they call the schools? I can't even think my mind's. This is what happens when you get old. Huh? No, that was the school. It'll hit me in a little bit. When it hits me, I'll let you know. But it was a school to learn about the Mormon ways. And, And so she would go over there, and she would learn, and she said, you know what got me wondering is that they would about how it was okay to have many wives and she said I didn't understand that and she said I, I, I would ask the instructor why well, I don't understand this why is this okay and she said well he just put me off he just put me off he just put me off and she said I started wondering so I found this Baptist church And they were having a meeting there. And uh, she said, one night I went to that meeting and I got saved. And, And the pastor will tell you, said after she got saved, she really stretched me because she asked me questions I never heard of before. But she was put out because of her faith in Christ, by her following Christ. And you know, I think this is, Not necessarily the funny part, but it really is. Pastor said she came to him one day and said, Pastor, I think I want to go back to the church, the Mormon church, and tell them about Christ. And he's like, Well, if the Lord tells you to do it, I'm not going to tell you not to. Because evidently in their services, They have a time of testimony that they can stand up and tell things and all this. She says, I want to go back and I want to tell them what Christ did for me. I want to tell them. And the pastor's like, only with the leading of the Holy Spirit do you do that. And we found out later that she did go back into that Mormon church. And she stood up during testimony time. And she says, And she told them how she got saved. And she told them how they could be saved. But you realize that as she did that, she was disowned. She was put out. She was lost many of her friends. And even some family disowned her. But she has one of the greatest testimonies. And she said, how? could I be saved in what Christ did for me and not follow him. Even amongst my family, even amongst my friends. And she did this and many times in our life and I use those as an example, but many times in our life, sometimes our family even looks and says, why are you doing that? Why are you following the Lord? And three times in this psalm, David reminds the reader of this. He says, fret not, fret not, fret not. Which is just another way of saying, don't worry. Don't worry about those things. And he says that and we and I can believe that God is concerned with his children. God loves his children and you notice I read verse 23. Look at what he says in verse 23 again. He says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, but also the stops of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And why do I say that? that the idea of steps being ordered by the Lord is that God... Has established or ordained the steps of a righteous man. And and those words there, this is the same word that is used to describe the fact that God has used his infinite wisdom to direct the path that you and I take in our lives. An illustration of this is in Psalm chapter 8 and verse 3, where the Bible says, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained. Now the word "ordain" in Psalm 8.3 is the same Hebrew word in verse 23. That's translated ordered. It means to establish, to appoint, a fix or cause to come to pass. The science of astronomy has recorded something of the amazing precision of the movements of some of the heavenly bodies. The eclipses, the comets, and the alignment of the planets and stars can be accurately predicted hundreds of years before they occur. Now think about this. The same divine wisdom that has ordained the movement of the stars of the sky has ordained the steps of the child of God. God has destined us to accomplish his purpose in our lives. You think about this, is God has allowed us, or if you're still here on this earth, God has a purpose for you, right? If he didn't have a purpose, he'd just take us on home to be with him. But God has a purpose for everyone sitting. It's like those runners. I don't know about you, some of these Olympic events, and and, and I don't know why they run the marathon. I I, I don't know. I can get there much quicker in a car, right? I can go them 26 miles in a hurry in a car, and I won't have to call the EMS if I tried to run it in the first half a mile, right? but there's other races that you see in the, and when, on the inside and they've got lanes, right? And these runners, if they go outside of those lanes, they're disqualified. And God, and we look at this, God has a lane for us to run in, right? He has laid out a path for you and I. He he knows the end from the beginning. And we, as the Bible says, the steps of a good man. And, And we are to follow those steps directed by God because he's got that path laid out. And if we get out of our lane, God is so gracious and and, and he allows us. He doesn't disqualify us. He allows us to come back in when we get out of the lane because he gives us away. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he's laid this path out for you and I. And we as followers of Christ are to run That lane that he has for us. And and, and if you're here, God is not finished and you haven't reached the finish line. And we are to continue to run that race. We are to continue to go in that path that God has set out for you and I. You think about this, as he spoke the world into existence, as he holds the world in his hands, as he has created all things, not only has he done all of that, but he's loved us enough to create a path that we should walk in, each and every one of us, each and every one. He loves us that much. And so when we think about this in in this portion of scripture, in verse 23, he says the steps of a good man are ordered by who? By the Lord, not by us. How many times do we get off track because we think we know better than God? Right? Because if you take your own way and it's not that path God has laid out for us, you're telling God, well, I know better than you. It is essentially what we're doing. And so here he gives this, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath ordained that we should walk in them. One of the great verses in the Bible says that we are saved and called with a holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given in Christ Jesus before the world began. First Timothy, or 2 Timothy chapter one and verse number nine. Think about that. Look at verse 25. I like this verse. He says, I have been young and now I'm old. Yet have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. You think about this, that Christ is the faithful and true redeemer, and he will never leave us nor forsake us, as Hebrews tells us. You think about this. You know, many times we will trust and have faith in God to to hold our salvation. Right? We'll we'll trust him and have faith in him to take us home to heaven when we die. But do we have enough faith in him to trust him for our daily needs? How many times do we go to him when we have a need come up? How many times do we go to trust and have faith that he he holds our salvation uh, but he also controls all things and can supply that need that we have? See when you think about this and what David is talking about here he realizes that God is concerned with our needs. Now you think about this this is a promise that was given by God the Father to his son that there would be a remnant that would not only believe him but who would be conformed to his image. God has promised his son that the His purpose would be performed in our lives. So that's what happens when we get saved. We are to be conformed to the image of Christ. God wants us to be more like his son. And that's why I ask you the question, are you following Christ? Are you more like his son than you were yesterday or the day before or a week before? And where is the key? The key is the scriptures. Right? We are to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord, Peter tells us. And we grow in that. So I, I say this, how are we to follow Christ? What must we do to follow Christ? Notice with me, first of all, we must be confident in his provision. Look in verse 3 of Psalm 37. He says, trust in the Lord and do good so that thou Dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. And here is the beginning point that we see when we desire to become a follower of Christ, when we get saved, we must be committed to his divine guidance. The word used trust here in verse three implies that we flee for refuge, believing that we can have confidence in the person or the thing which we run. You think about that and, and we, do we really trust in the Lord? We must place our trust in Him. To be a follower of Christ, it's not in our own strength. It's not in what we do. It, it's we place and we turn to Christ for His strength and place our trust in Him. Now this verse, it carries with it an admonition and a promise. And the promise the, conditional, the promise is conditional upon our faith and works. Now listen, we don't do works to get saved. We do works because we are saved. There's only one way to Christ. The Bible is plain upon that. You can't do enough works to get to heaven. You can't do enough works in your own strength to get to heaven. The Bible says there's one way. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's a pretty straight statement, is it not? There's only one way to the heavenly Father. That's through the Lord Jesus Christ. But God is looking for followers that are confident enough in the provision of salvation that they would trust him and be committed to him enough that they would obey him. True followers of the Lord are those that have faith, and out of faith there will be works that are manifest in our life. They don't, they don't see their goodness as a result of their own works, but as a result of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, For there is none righteous, no, not There's nothing good in me. My wife will tell you that. There's no good in me except the Lord Jesus Christ. And and, and the followers of Christ acknowledge there's nothing that we can do. There is no good in us and that's why we must trust in the Lord. Completely trust in the Lord. Sometimes we go back and forth, right? Right? We trust in ourselves based upon circumstances, right? And, and I know this is easy preaching and hard living, but there are some circumstances that we try to figure things out myself. And I tell you, when I try to figure them out, when I try to do them, things get a whole lot worse. My wife will tell you that also. But we must yield to the Lord Jesus Christ. We must trust in him in all things. James chapter 2 and verse 18 says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works and I will show thee my faith by my works. The Bible is clear. Once we are saved, then works comes. We are never saved by works. It's only by faith. But once we get saved, We'll want to do works for Christ. So, number one, we must follow Christ by this. How? By being confident in his provision. Number two, being consumed with his person. Look in verse 4. The Bible says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. And here's one of the great verses in the Bible that many may have even uh, said many times. That it's given a promise to the follower of Christ. While man is consumed with the outward appearance, the Lord is interested in the heart. Where the Lord said when when, uh, David was gonna be anointed by Samuel and and they went to uh, Jesse's house and all the brothers lined up. And Samuel must have seen something that was good in these guys. They must have been been muscular and ready for war, ready to leave. But what did God say? He said, man looketh on the outward appearance. I looketh upon the heart. And and you and I, it says here in verse number four, delight thyselves. Delight thyselves also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Psalm 21 and verse 1 and 2 says this, The king shall joy in thy strength, O Lord, and in thy salvation. How greatly shall he rejoice. Thou hast given him his heart's desire, and hast not withholden the request of his lips. See, the thought here is not that your heart can go untamed and you'll get whatever you wish for. This is not a name it and claim it. This is not, uh, uh, Lord, I need a half a million dollars and I need it tomorrow. Well, God is certainly able to give you that. There's no doubt about that. But is that His will? Is that what He wants in your life for His will? You think about that. The idea rather is that those people who set their affections on the Lord are the ones that God grants the desires of their heart. When you delight in the Lord, then your desires become holy and God grants holy desires. And when you think about this verse, there are two thoughts that might help us to know what it means to delight in the Lord. Number one, our pursuit of God should be passionate pursuit. Psalm 1 says, as the heart panteth after the water book, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Psalm 63, verse one and two says, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee. For thee in a dry and a thirsty land where no water is, to see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen in thee in the sanctuary. What are you passionate about in your life? Are you passionate about seeking God, searching God? Are you passionate that you have that time every single day with the Lord in that secret place? In that place, Jesus sets the example we see in Mark 1 and other places that he's he's taken time to spend with the Lord. He had a busy day. Many things was going on, and he woke up, and what did he do? He goes to spend time with the Lord. Now think about this. If the Lord Jesus Christ made time as his day to spend with God the Father, how much more should you and I? Spend time with God the Father. Now listen, my, my God knew that my wife and I needed to be together because she is a late nighter. I'm an early morning riser. And so when I get up in the morning, I spend my time with the Lord. That's where I spend my time. I study and all those things. But she does that late at night. and we And, and with us traveling all the time, it wouldn't work at the same time. Right, But the point I'm trying to make is that every single day, there should be a time set out to spend with God the Father. It doesn't matter whether it's in the morning early or late at night or in the middle of the day. The point is, is that you and I should be passionate about that and and not forsaking that time. Hey, I need it because it seems like when I skip that time and I'm human, there's times that I've gotten and I'm going and, and all of that and I hadn't spent my time, the day just doesn't seem to go as well. But the thing is, is that we need to, carve out a time that nothing interferes with that time with God the Father. So we need to be passionate about our pursuit, but also our pursuit of God should be pure pursuit. We're not to pursue pleasure, possessions, prestige, or power. Our pursuit is to know the Lord more and more. Philippians chapter 3 verse 10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. When we are pure selfless and totally committed to knowing the Lord and having a relationship or that fellowship with him then God can give us that which is closest to our hearts. So you see here in in verse number four, we are to be consumed with his person. But look in verse five and six. The Bible says, commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. You can't have the second part without the first part. We must commit our ways unto the Lord right, and and trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass and he shall bring forth thy righteousness as as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. See, the word commit in verse number five is used to describe a man that is under a heavy burden and meets up with someone that is bigger and stronger that volunteers to carry the load. With a great sense of relief, we gladly give the struggle of hauling the load and roll it up in the one that's able to carry that burden. This is what God wants us to do with the burdens that we have in our lives. He, he tells us to leave it with him. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, "'Come unto me, all the ye that labor and heavy laden, "'and I will give you rest.'" Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I'm meek and lowly and hard and ye shall find rest under your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How many times have you heard somebody say they got saved and it felt like a thousand pounds that was lifted up off their shoulders? That was me. The night I got saved, it was like something was lifted off. God took that burden of sin away. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, why? For he cares for you. Psalm 55 and verse 22, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. How many times do we carry our burdens when God says, Give them to me, I can handle. He says in 1 Peter, cast them upon him. Throw them upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. So he can carry the burdens that you and I seem to can't carry. He says, give them to me and I'll carry them. So we must be committed to his path, right? Number three is to be committed to his path in verse 5 and 6. And so notice here, a committed person will have direction. In verse 5, the Bible says that commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. See, there's an advantage given to a person who are free from anxiety, freed from the burden that they carry. The way seems easier and lighter. God wants to make the way clearer. And when we get free from the burden that we carry, his way is clearer. Because many times we are under the weight of those burdens. And God says, listen, if you'll give those burdens to me, you'll see the way clearer. You'll see me clearer. Instead of focus on the burdens that you have. Psalm 27 and verse 11 says, Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. He says, Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me. First, a committed person will have direction, but second, a committed person will have discernment. Look in verse 6. He says, And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the light the noonday. In verse 6, we're shown that our judgment will be as clear as the noonday sun. We will have enough light to know beyond a shadow of a doubt what is that we are to do. There will not be clouds, only clarity. Right? So if God would show us everything that was going to happen in our lives and, and show us the end, what does that take out? It takes out that faith, right? It takes out that faith because we would know what would be going on. And we would not trust and we would not commit to being a follower of Christ. We wouldn't follow him because we know what was going to happen. But why not trust your path to the one that does know what your future holds? And so in that, that's what we're saying. If he showed us everything, it completely takes out faith. And we know faith is one of the greatest doctrines in the Bible. We must have faith. That's how you get saved. But that's also how you live your life, by faith in him, to show us the way. And he will make it clear, step by step. And I always tell this to the younger people, the teenagers are, are even younger. And, and I tell you, it, it applies to everybody. He's like, well, I don't know the will uh, uh, the will of God for my life right now. I don't know where to go to school. I don't know who, who I should, uh, where I should work, what I should go to. And that's okay. That's why we commit our way. That's why we trust in God, because he will show it. But if you don't know what the will of God... Well, you're supposed to do you simply serve him today and he'll show you tomorrow you serve him today he'll show you where you need to be more that's that step that he will show that path will be clear the next step for you to take I like there at the Red Sea when when Moses was standing there and all the children of Israel uh, was surrounded by mountains and here comes the Egyptian army and God says Why are you calling on me for? Take that step. And what happened when they took that step? God parted the Red Sea. You know what? In our lives, if we'll take that step of faith, he'll part that Red Sea. He'll show you where you're to go and he'll make that path clear. That's what he did with the children of Israel. And so in that, we must commit our way unto him and we must follow him. We, must, we will have discernment. And finally, and fourthly, the Bible said, or we, what I call this in verse seven, we're content in his plan. We need to be content in his plan to follow him. We're instructed to cease, to stop sometimes and stand still. Look at verse seven. It says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Who has a problem with being patient in here? It's all right. I I mean, we we all probably at some time or another have have that problem. We're not patient. We wanna see things. We wanna look at things and we want them now. But what does the Bible say? He said, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospers in his way because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. You know, how many times do we want to get ahead of God? Right? How many times do we we look and say, I know where I need to be here and we get ahead of God and God wants us to simply just wait for a little bit. Right? We're instructed to see, stop and stand still. The time has come as followers of Christ that want to know what the future holds for us to stop with our plans and rest in his plans. And when we think about this, there's two admonitions that we see uh, that the writer gives about resting in the Lord. Number one, contentment contentment brings patience. Right? The principle of patience is a hard, hard one for us to live. It's easier to talk about but more difficult to master. We are told to wait patiently for the Lord. And this is a part of following Christ. Sometimes God says, go forward, move forward. But sometimes he says, just wait a little bit and rest in me. Because his plans are greater than our plans. And sometimes he says, just wait patiently. When I was called into evangelism in 2011, I did not realize that in that calling, God is just not going to drop a bunch of meetings on you, right? He's not going to fill your schedule, right? And so between 2011 and 2015, there wasn't not a whole lot going on in the ministry for me, for us. We would have a meeting every once in a while and, and, and to go here and to go there and it come to a point. It, a, I was like, God, where's the meetings? I know you've called me into this. I know you want me to go in this, but where's it at? God was testing us, as He said, "You wait patiently on me. When I need you to go, I'll open up the doors. I'll show you where to go." And in 2015. I believe it, that God opened the floodgates. And I tell you, I did something that I will never do again. I, I, I was new, and I didn't know. But people were calling. We were calling. We were heading out west, and, and I was calling pastors. Yeah, come on, preach, come on in and preach. So I scheduled meetings for 17 straight weeks without a break. And I thought, When I got back at the end of those 17 weeks, God, I'll never do that again. But what I'm saying is this, is that many times in our lives, we get ahead of God when he says, wait. And when he tells us just to wait and sit still for a little while, that's exactly what we need to do because he's in control of all things. But we as humans have a problem with being patient. Just to wait. But in that, we must wait. We must be patient to follow Christ. It is his plans and not ours. And secondly, and last, contentment brings peace. It brings peace. Verse 7 says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him fret not thyself worry not thyself the word that is used for rest is the word that speaks of inner peace it means that while the outward circumstances are chaotic the inner emotions are marked with quiet assurance isaiah 26 in verse number 3 says this Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. And that word stayed means steadfast on thee. Because why? He trusteth in thee. When you think about what he just says and we see in verse seven, it says rest in him. And if we keep our eyes upon the Lord and follow him, the Bible says he'll keep us in perfect peace. And when all of those chaotic situations are happening in our lives, and that is one of the greatest testimonies for a Christian, right? When, when we don't act, and we don't respond like the world does to tribulations, to trials, and we rest in the Lord, those folks say there's something about that person. And I know trials and tribulations are hard. I understand that. But God is saying, listen, you keep your eyes on me and I'll give you peace. The God of all peace. No matter what the circumstances are, you must keep your eyes on him to be a follower of Christ. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed tonight, just a simple invitation. Listen, I know times will get hard, and but God's told us to follow.